0: Tonight's preaching passages from the book of Ezra, chapters 9 and 10. So if you would turn there with me as I read that for us Ezra 9 and 10. This is what it says Ezra 9 and 10. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Cainites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees, and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, And to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem." And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons. And never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again?" and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days, by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month, on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many and it is a time of heavy rain, we cannot stand in the open. Nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asael, and Je- Jezeah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshullam and Shabbatai the Levites, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. as were the priests selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, when they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women, now there were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives, and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Immer. Hanani and Zebediah, the sons of Haram, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pasher, Elonei, Messiah, Ishmael, Nethanel, Josabad, and Elash, of the Levites, Josabad, Shimei, Kaliah, that is, Kalida, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer, of the singers, Eliashib, of the gatekeepers Shalem, Telam, and Uri, and of Israel, of the sons of Perosh, Ramiah, Isaiah, Malchijah, Mijamin, Eliezer, Hashabiah, and Benaiah, of the sons of Elam, Madaniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah, of the sons of Zatu, Elone, Elonei, Eliashib, Madaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza. Of the sons of Bibai were Jehonanin, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athli. Of the sons of Bani were Meshelem, Malak, Adiah, Jashab, Sheel, and Jeremoth, of the sons of peath Moab, Adna, Chelal, Benaiah, Messea, Mananiah, Bezalel, Binui, and Manasseh. Of the sons of Haram, Eliezer, Ishijah, Melkijah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malach, and Sheremiah. Of the sons of Hashem, Madani, Med- Medatha, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei. Of the sons of Bani, Madai, Amram, Uel, Baniah, Bediah, Cheluhi, Vinaya, Meramoth, Eliashib, Madaniah, Madani, Jasu. Of the sons of Benui, Shimei, Shelemiah, Nathan, Adiah, Machnadabadi, Shashai, Shari, Azarel, Shelemiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph. Of the sons of Nebo, Jael, Mattathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jaddai, Joel, and Benaiah, all these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. This is God's word.
1: Well, I certainly owe Pastor Dan one for, uh, for reading that on our behalf, so thank you, thank you. Well, it is good to be with you tonight as we conclude our study of the book of Ezra. Tonight, we are looking at chapters 9 and 10. And over the course of these past few weeks, I have been greatly impressed about how this book displays God's mercy. Throughout this book, we have seen God leading his people out of bondage in Babylon, leading them in a journey to Jerusalem, leading them... To reestablish the temple, reestablish worship, and all along the way, He is protecting them and providing them. His mercy is guiding the people all along the way, and in spite of all the difficulty, hope remained because of God's mercy. So we might say that an overview would be God's people on God's way to, to God's place to worship in God's temple. And to live in God's way. This is a true story. It's a beautiful display of God's mercy to us. And what we will focus on tonight is the last part of that. Living in God's way. Living in God's way can often be very difficult. You may be here and the journey for you has been quite challenging. You may be thinking to yourself that, I can't tell, I can't see the providential and loving hand of God that you're talking about. I can't see that. And if that's you, I would just want to encourage you to stick with us, to hang with us so that you can see the merciful hand of God. God wants you to experience his mercy, all of us to experience his mercy. And so in light of that, let's now go to the Lord again in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness to us all the days of our life, and we thank you that you have given us your word. I pray that you would help us to understand it, to know it, and to apply it to our lives. And in this too, we pray that you would be glorified, in Christ's name, amen. So how do we live in God's way? I think there are three principles that we can pull from this text. The first of all is to know God's word and to apply it. Know and apply God's word. The second principle that we'll see is to pray, to pray in line with God's word. And third, to repent according to God's word. Now, all of this should lead us to the conclusion that our lives should be oriented around the Word of God. If we are to live in God's way and apply God's Word, especially when we have to look at difficult issues like relationship problems, our lives must be oriented around the Word of God. Let's take a look now in chapter 9, verse 1. First, we must know and apply God's Word. In chapter 9, verse 1, we see that the local officials or governors knew of God's word. They applied it to the situation. They realized that there was a problem, and they initiated a conversation with Ezra. They understood that, that Deuteronomy, 7, Deuteronomy 7 applied to this situation. In Deuteronomy 7, we read, You shall not intermarry with them, that is, the neighboring peoples. You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Why, we might ask? For they would turn away your sons from following me. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and destroy you quickly. These officials, these civil officials, these governors, they recognized that there was a problem. And the problem, the main problem, was intermarriage. But there was also a secondary problem in that the leaders failed. They failed their people because the leaders are the ones who led them astray. And that is a difficult thing to see when leaders lead their people astray, and may that never be the case for us here. But how did these officials recognize that this was a problem in the first place? Ezra or someone else must have taught them. They must have been sitting under the teaching, and so they knew and they applied God's word. Now, of course, Ezra knew God's word. We remember back to chapter 7, verse 10. It says that he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, it is likely that Ezra had already become aware of the situation He had likely been traveling around on other duties, and he just was not able to circle back to the issue just yet. He was probably in Israel for a few months at this time. And so Ezra understood that the people had broken God's law, and when the people came back to him, when the officials came back to him and notified him once again, he realized that this was such a an enormous problem that he publicly displayed his grief and we might even say his dread over the possibility of punishment. He pulled out his hair from his head, from his beard. He sat appalled and he fasted until the evening sacrifice. Now, before the service started, somebody came up to me and asked if we would have a demonstration tonight. I said only if Pastor Eric was willing, but uh, we, will, we will skip the demonstration tonight. I think that would be best. But here, Ezra demonstrates the severity of the problem, and it's not just him. When he sits down, there are others that sit down with him. They tremble at the Word of God. These are people who have come to know and apply God's word. They have become discerning and sensitive to God's word. And the natural question to ask ourselves is this. Do we tremble at the word of God? As if it was spoken from the one who is ruling the universe. Do we tremble at the word of God? Pleading that God would help us to discern and to be sensitive this is what Ezra did. This is what the people did. They were, they were sensitive to the word of God. Now, I think one of the most unfortunate things in our world today is a theological famine. You probably are aware of this. The theological famine, which means that, that many people in our world have little to no access to God's word. They can't know and apply God's word because they don't have God's word. They there are over 1,600 people groups who have no Scripture in their language. That means that they will never read, if if that's the only language they speak, they will never read of any advice about relationship at all. That means they will never read John 3, 16, that God sent His Son to save the world. It's unacceptable. Now, I will say that the good news is that many people could have access to God's Word. Over 90% of the world speaks the language where there are Bibles, but still, sometimes there is very little access for one reason or the other. Beyond that, 80% of pastors around the world have little to no theological education. This also represents the theological famine. Now, you should be encouraged that our Board of Missions and churches all around the world are concerned about this. And they are prioritizing theological education for global church leaders. They are prioritizing sending Bible translators around the world. We want every person on the planet to be able to hold a Bible in their hands, to be able to hear a Bible in their ears, so that they can come to know and apply the word of God to all of life. Now, if we pull back for a minute, we might just ask ourselves, what's wrong with intermarriage? That's the, that's the problem that the officials bring to the attention of Ezra. What's the, what's the problem with intermarriage? Well, first we need to understand what intermarriage was. Intermarriage or interreligious marriage was the marriage of people who worshiped two different gods. The people around Israel worshipped gods other than Yahweh, the one true God. And so this prohibition was based on worship. As we know, the marriage relationship is the closest the closest, most holistic union in the human experience. And marriage mirrors God's relationship to his people. And so, what God is doing here is he's trying to protect his people. Just as faithfulness in marriage honors our spouse, faithfulness in the relationship to God, obedience in the relationship to God honors the Lord. We cannot say that we love God or we love our spouse if we are not faithful. Furthermore, when there are two different belief systems in the home, this creates a problem. Many problems. Although it's difficult to say, the language here about abominations is talking about pollution. A pollution in the union of two people. As we know the New Testament, from the New Testament, the marriage relationship is meant to demonstrate God's relationship to the church. Jesus Christ to the church. And so practically speaking, Ezra knew this and he also knew examples of people who have failed in the past. It's important for us from time to time to to think about that. Think about King Solomon. King Solomon had all these wives, and they practiced many different religions other than belief in Yahweh, and they led King Solomon astray. Now, Ezra may have been thinking to himself, if the wisest man who ever lived could be led astray, so could we. Ezra knew that God might just punish them again for these interreligious marriages. Now, Ezra also knew that God did not prescribe this. He did not give this law because of the ethnicity of the peoples around. Now, you might question that because in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says that, For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. So wait. The holy race? Mixed? Does that mean that the Jewish race is holy and no other race is holy? Does that mean that there is one holy race and all others are distinctly unholy? Is this somehow a way that God is prohibiting interracial marriages? Let me answer those questions clearly and emphatically. No, that's not what's happening here. First of all, the Bible never prohibits interracial marriage on the basis of race, but on worship. Second, there are biblical examples of interracial marriage which the Bible celebrates. Think about Boaz, the Israelite, and Ruth, the Moabite. They were predecessors of king david and ancestors of jesus the bible celebrates this and third israel was holy in the sense of course that they were set apart they were designated they were chosen to be a light to the nations and fourth the word race here means seed as in abraham's seed god's promise to abraham That his offspring or his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, Israel was to be a light to the nations. And why? So that my salvation would reach the ends of the earth. If his salvation reaches the end of the earth, that means that all ethnicities are included. All nations nations are included into the one people of God. We learn in the New Testament that the dividing wall of Jew and Gentile has been broken down. And the ultimate fulfillment of this seed is not God's people, but Jesus Christ in one distinct way. The Apostle Paul makes this plain in Galatians 3.16. There he writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to the offspring who is Christ. So putting it all together, because of God's great mercy, he has set a people apart from, for himself. They are the seed from which the one Messiah would come. They were to be a light to the nations, from which the one true light would come. 1 Peter 2.9 makes this clear. But you, elect exiles, followers of Jesus from all nations, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are. You were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our whole lives revolve around the mercy of God. Do we sense God's mercy? Do we sense the wisdom of this prohibition? This was about worship. But practically speaking, what will you do... When your son or daughter or maybe a Christian friend, a godly friend who desperately wants to be married, what will you do when they come to you and they ask, mom, dad, can I, can I date this non-Christian person? Will you know how to gently and winsomely persuade them with the word of God? that that might not be the best idea and in fact that would violate God's word will you go to second corinthians chapter 6 and explain to them that that a christian man is to be married to a christian woman and this is a blessing will we submit our relationships to the lord that's really the question here will we submit everything to the lord We want to be a people who live in God's way, and we do this by knowing and applying God's word. Second, we live in God's way when we pray in line with God's word. We see here that Ezra prays in line with God's word, and how does he do that? First of all, he identifies himself with the community. Look in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and I blush. These are our iniquities that have risen higher than our heads. This is enormous. He is identifying himself with those who had committed the crime, even though he had not. But one thing I love about this prayer is that Ezra is sympathetic. He is praying sympathetically for the people who have actually sinned against God. And this goes against the grain of our individualism. This goes against the grain of of what we naturally would think because even in our prayers, sometimes we want to distance ourselves from the people who have sinned while failing to recognize we have sinned. But Ezra identifies himself with his community. Second, he is honest about their sin and their guilt. It's a great guilt. It's risen higher than their heads. It's enormous. Even though they've been unfaithful. Can you imagine, can you imagine if your name was recorded at the end of chapter 10 for all of human history? Can you imagine being a grandfather and your son or your grandson coming and saying, Grandpa, you know, I was reading the other day and I found your name at the end of this book. Did you do that? Yes. The third way Ezra prayed in line with God's word was that he prayed in light of God's mercy. He did not forget the mercy of God, and we see that in verse 8. But now, for a moment you have shown, we have been shown favor by our Lord. He has left us as a remnant. This is a God who has shown us his steadfast love. He has given us a secure hold. This is literally a tent peg in the ground or maybe a nail in the wall to to just remind us of the stability. He has given us a secure hold within his holy place to grant us a little reviving, even in our slavery. Are you willing to identify with your community when someone in your church or your community Sins against God? Is your first reaction to criticize them or to pray for them? Are you honest about your sin and your guilt? Or do you blame shift? Do you gaslight? Have we considered lately the mercy of God to us as his people Now, Ezra recognizes that they are still slaves in verse 9. And they were slaves in the sense that they were still under the governance of Persia. They were not a theocracy like they were in the time of King David. But in a spiritual sense, they and all of us are born slaves to sin. And we rely on the mercy of God. We rely on the fact that Jesus has come to set us free from this sin. We deserve wrath. We have been unfaithful, but God is faithful. And God is willing to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him. So secondly, we live in God's way by praying in line with God's word. Now the third principle here for living in God's way is to repent according to God's word. So let's look at chapter 10. While Ezra prayed and made confession, we see that the leaders came to him. We see that people were weeping bitterly. The leaders made an open confession regarding their sin. They didn't try to hide this, and it appears that this was voluntary, which is amazing. We should be a people that are quick to confess. There is no need to hide because of the loving mercy of God. God's steadfast love endures forever. And the psalmist reminds us broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise. So let us be a people who are quick to confess like these people were. Second we repent according to God's word when we actively turn from our sins. Now this is what the the leaders did here. They did a 180. They were walking towards sin they were engaging in sin and then they turned 180 degrees and and committed to walk in the opposite direction. They initiate a response with Ezra and even exhort him to be confident in leading them. That's fine if you do that for us, too, sometimes. Exhort us to lead you. It says, Therefore, let us make a covenant or a promise with our God to put away these wives and their children according to the counsel of the Lord and to the, of those who tremble at the commandment of God and let it be done according to the law. After this happens, the leaders call everyone to come to Jerusalem. They make people aware of the problem. And what is the response? It's a great response. They tremble at the word of God. And yes, it was raining. They were trembling at the rain as well, but this only serves to reflect the gravity of the situation. They realized that they must respond and be willing to obey God's word if they were to avoid the wrath and the punishment of God. This was a call to repentance, and they responded in the best possible way, except for a few. There will always be a few who bristle at a call to repentance. There will always be a few who reject whatever the call of repentance is. But it says here in verse 11 that they, they urged the people to make confession to the Lord. The God of your fathers, and do his will, make a confession to him. And then they answered in a loud voice and said, it is so. We must do as you have said. Now, this is a very challenging text. I don't think I need to say that, but I, I, guess, I guess I will. This is, this is incredibly difficult. I can imagine that some might read this text and they might immediately say to themselves, well, I am a Christian but my spouse is not a Christian. We were non-Christians to begin with, but then I came to the Lord. God saved me. What should I do now? Should I divorce my spouse? Is that what's being implied here? We have to remember that what's happening here is a, a, the author is relaying true events. This is descriptive. He's describing events. He is not prescribing divorce. He is calling the people to authenticity, transparency, sincerity, to worship the Lord their God faithfully, to live as holy people just as God is holy, according to Leviticus 19. He is not calling for divorce. Now we know divorce in general violates the teaching of Scripture, although there are exceptions, I would say. But this text is not calling for a Christian to divorce a non-Christian spouse. We also know that from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that if you have a non-Christian spouse who's willing to stay with you, then you should stay with them. You should provide a godly influence in the home. Now, as a side note, I personally, I'm not speaking on behalf of the church, but I personally, when I'm talking to someone about marriage, about sticking with it, about being faithful, I always want to make this caveat: is that if you are a person who is suffering abuse, if you are a person who has your life threatened by your marriage, then you need to go get help. You may need to separate for some period of time. That would be my individual pastoral advice. Now, that's not what is being talked about here. But what's being talked about here is this, this repentance that's, that's flowing across the people. This is a healthy response of repentance. They confess their sins. They turn from their sins And the third way to repent in a godly way, in a way that honors the Lord, is to make it right. We have to make it right, and that's what they did against the injured party, which was the wife, the wives, and the children. So how did they make it right in this situation? Well, first, they made a plan. A plan is always a good idea. This plan gave the people time to get their affairs in order. The women and the children were not forced to leave the next day. There was time given here. And as it says in chapter 10, verse 16, they took time to examine the matter. This should encourage us to be patient. When we are helping someone along who is struggling with a sin, we should be patient We should be patient with ourselves. I struggle with this. Sometimes I want results from myself or from others immediately. This is calling us to be patient, to be patient in ministry with one another. Second of all, they took each such situation into account as they applied God's word. This process of dealing with the sin of intermarriage would have taken months. One commentator said, well, based on the number of of people who were involved, maybe there were two a day. This would have taken months to figure out. So why did they do that? They could have just said, okay, we've made our proclamation. You know what to do. We're done. We're going about our business. But they didn't. And I think it's because of the third reason And this is to figure out how to provide for the women and children. They were going to make it right. All throughout the Old Testament, God shows us concern for widows and orphans and the sojourner. Consider the fact that God provided for Hagar when she was forced to flee. Or Exodus 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, then the Lord will hear. He will hear their cry. Consider Deuteronomy 10, 19, which states, So you too must show love for the foreigner, because you were once a foreigner. You were a foreigner in the land of Egypt. How easy it is for us to forget the mercy of God that has been shown to us. So I think even though it's not explicitly stated, we can be confident in God's concern for these women and the children because God is a merciful God. And because of God's great mercy, we should long to live in a way that honors Him, in a way that is faithful and full of repentance. When you sin against the Lord, do you make a plan to root out that sin? Do you make it right when you sin against someone else? This is what should mark us. We should be a people who make it right. So if we are to live in God's way, we must know and apply God's word. We must pray in line with God's word, and we must repent according to God's word. The book of Ezra reveals to us a true story a display of God's mercy. God's people going to God's place to worship in God's temple and to live in God's way. Now, Israel struggled to live in God's way because they failed to orient their lives around the word of God. God's people proved to be unfaithful. They could not live according to God's word and neither can we. This Dependency on the mercy of God points to the need for a Savior. It points to the need for Jesus Christ. We too have sinned against God and deserve punishment. That's why we cast our cares on the one who knew the word of God perfectly. And he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is why we depend on the one who applied God's word perfectly and never needed to repent of a violation of God's word. This is why we cast ourselves on the one who many years after the time of Ezra gave up his life for us at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he did this in order to bring in a new covenant, one that he could keep, a promise that he could keep, and he would remove our guilt He would remove our shame. This is why we depend upon Jesus Christ and none other. We depend on the Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is why we look to Jesus. And if you have never cast your cares on the Lord, if you have never cast yourself before the mercy of God, I would plead for you to do that today. But if you are, Part of God's people, and I think most of you, many of you, are. Then you are part of God's global story. You are part of God's people. You are part of God's demonstration of mercy. God has rescued us out of slavery to sin. He is leading us on a a journey to our heavenly home. This journey may be difficult. But it is a journey of hope because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. God is lovingly and providentially leading us home. And as these leaders say in chapter 10, verse 2, there is hope in spite of this. In spite of our sin, there is hope. In spite of the brokenness of the world, the calamity and the disasters that we see around us, there is hope. In spite of everything that we see in our world that would lead us to be frustrated, that would lead us to give up hope, there is still hope. And even now, in spite of all this, there is hope for the world because of the mercy Of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful. We rely upon your mercy, and I pray, Lord, that for all of us, you would simply help us to be faithful. You would help us to live according to your word, to orient our lives around your word, so that we might live in your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.